Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. This is Sirius XM Progress live, coast to coast and interactive. I'm John Fugelsang. What a pleasure to be with you from the beautiful panoramic splendor of Sirius XM's Hollywood Studios. There's no one in the building except, I mean, it's it's me and Sam and, and John Mayer's here somewhere, right? Which room is John Mayer in? He's right across from us. He's across the hall. Okay, well, hide, 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 hide your girlfriends then. So it's just uh, it's just you and me and John Mayer and a security guard, and that's 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 it. Wow, this is like Mardi Gras compared to New York. It's completely empty there at this hour. But we are thrilled you guys are with us. Sam is here helping us run the boards. The great Chris Hauselt produces our show out of South Carolina. The mighty Thea Harper produces our show out of Brooklyn. My name is John Fugelsang, and I'm so glad you could be with us. Thank you, everybody, for your very nice comments about um, the, the appearance I just did like 20 minutes ago on Joy Reid's show on MSNBC. I was up this morning making breakfast, and they called and said, can you come on? And I was like, well, uh, I'm in L.A. And they said, oh, you can Zoom. I'm like, all right. And then I realized, oh, God, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to, I hope I have a suit and tie to wear. And so that's why I'm wearing a suit and tie on the radio right now. It's been a pretty busy day. I hope you had a good weekend. I heard there was a game. We have a great show planned for you tonight and a lot to discuss. Donald Trump's lawyers are petitioning the Supreme Court to intervene and block the lower court ruling and then delay his 2020 election interference case. A woman armed with an AR-15 style rifle killed several people and wounded more at the Lakewood, Texas megachurch of uh, Pastor Joel Osteen. Also, you've probably heard Israeli airstrikes killed over 100 people in the southern Gaza town of Rafah as the IDF ramps up military action in the region. The airstrikes were part of a raid that freed two more hostages from Hamas captivity. Israel also released photos and footage from a Hamas data storage center that said uh, they said was strategically located under the Gaza headquarters of the U.N. Works and Relief Agency, which means, um, I don't know, 12,500 kids are dead so far. More to come. A new study claims that wildfires, heat waves, and droughts fueled by climate change are quickly eroding decades of air quality improvement we've achieved here in the U.S. And we're going to talk about all things Super Bowl today. All the wall-to-wall Taylor Swift coverage, all the celebrity ads. My God, the Oscars are where we talk about achievements in cinema by discussing what people are wearing. The Super Bowl is where we discuss achievements in football by discussing what people are selling. 
all the celebrity ads, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. grave robbing a JFK ad, Jesus is washing feet, Megyn Kelly is flipping out over black people being black, political exploitation left and right, Netanyahu using the entire thing as a distraction to kill a ton of civilians while Americans are looking the other way, and, and I heard, there was even a football game. 866-997-4748 is our number. We'd love to hear from you for the next three hours. we got a good show. Uh, Jake Johnston is going to be here. He is the author of the essential new book, Aid State, Elite Panic, Disaster Capitalism, and the Battle to Control Haiti. Haiti is very close to my heart. Haiti is the only country in this hemisphere where an enslaved population was able to drive out their oppressors on their own. Haiti is suffering. Haiti is going through some of the worst times in its history, and the American media is not covering it too much. We will try to do more. I went to Haiti once, and it changed my life, and it changed how I view life, and we're really happy to have him. Also, joining us again from the great Doom Scroll podcast, it's uh, Matthew Sheffield and comedian Lisa Curry, and comedian Mona Shake will be here. In hour number three, we're going to bring you our conversation with Shaniqua McClendon of uh, Crooked Media. In the meantime, we want to hear from you guys. 866-997-4748. This week on the show, this Friday night, it is the return of our good friend, Rob Reiner. He has a new documentary out he has produced, and it's all about Christian nationalism. The kind of stuff we talk about every night here. And it's really wonderful. We're always happy to have Rob back on our show. Um, What did you guys think of the halftime show? What do you think of the game? You know, it's awkward for me uh, with football, but I, I always love the halftime shows. I, nothing beats Prince in the rain, U2 after 9-11, or the Dr. Dre, Kendrick Lamar, Eminem show from a couple years ago. What y'all think of Usher? I mean, he didn't lip sync. Go, man. Before we get to some Super Bowl highlights, want to remind you again, our number here is 866-997-4748. That's 866-997-GRIT. Let's, uh... Let's do a show. Before we can talk about football or all the hype surrounding football, we got to talk about <laughs> what Donald Trump said this weekend. Because what he said this weekend was so offensive, so stupid, so inflammatory, and so seemingly treasonous, we're all going to have to sit through a lot of mainstream media ads about how Joe Biden's too old. You know, Donald Trump colluded with Russia. It's not a crime to collude with Russia, but he made people think that was a crime. He fired his campaign manager, Paul Manafort, for collusion with Russia. Paul Manafort had been showing polling data to Russian spies. Our media likes to forget this. Donald Trump invited Russians into the Oval Office in the first month of his presidency, and he passed them classified information. Donald Trump took Vladimir Putin's side against American military intelligence at the Helsinki press conference, where he slobbered all over the Russian leader. Speaker Mike Johnson is doing everything he can do to help further the ethnic cleansing of Ukraine and block any USAID to our ally there. Tucker Carlson is going to Moscow to beg Vladimir Putin to draw him like one of your French girls. And in Europe, where the war in Ukraine is now hitting its second anniversary, Donald Trump made it clear to all of our allies and to people who finance him in Russia that he not only does not support the international order of NATO that so many in the greatest generation fought and gave their lives to defend, he's totally down if Vladimir Putin wants to attack our friends and allies. He actually said he would encourage Vladimir Putin to attack our friends and allies. This should be the only story in the news today. It is not as important 
as a player on the Chiefs' girlfriend, who's a singer. I know. But at a rally in South Carolina on Saturday night, Donald Trump claimed he told the president of some country, we don't know, it's a president who calls him Sir, Jesus Christ, this man is dumb, that he would encourage Russia to do whatever the hell they want to that NATO nation if they were behind on its defense obligations because Donald Trump is mobbed up and thinks NATO is a mafia protection racket. Here is the man who was fired from his job on Celebrity Apprentice for being too racist, Donald Trump. They asked me that question. One of the presidents of a big country stood up and said, well, sir, uh, if we don't pay and we're attacked by Russia, will you protect us? I said, you didn't pay? You're delinquent? He said, yes, let's say that happened. No, I would not protect you. In fact, I would encourage them to do whatever the hell they want. You got to pay. You got to pay your bills. Okay, this is the guy who doesn't pay his bills. This is the guy who so many cities have sent him uh, invoices because he has rallies there and never pays them back. This is the guy who doesn't pay this contractor. Uh, Trump never pays his debts. He doesn't mean it. He's carrying water for Vladimir Putin again. And the fallout, you probably heard it. The White House called it appalling and dangerous. The NATO general secretary warned that these threats put U.S. and European soldiers at increased risk. But remember... He was breathing, Donald Trump was, when he said this. And if Donald Trump is breathing, he's also being corrupt and stupid and showing us how stupid he is about how NATO works. Article 5 of the NATO Treaty. (laughs) It requires members to treat an attack on one ally as an attack on all of them. And Article 5 has only been invoked once. You know what it was? When one of the NATO countries was attacked and the other NATO countries came to their aid. It was America. After 9-11, they came and patrolled our skies that day because that's the deal. Now, NATO members have committed to contribute 2% of their GDP toward the collective defense. They don't pay dues. Again, he talks about it like it's a mob protection racket. Now, this means because Trump said this, your TV is filled with Republicans insisting loudly that Trump didn't mean what he um, exactly fucking said. Lindsey Graham and Marco Rubio, they both were defending what he said. Tom Cotton said NATO countries that don't spend enough on defense like Germany are already encouraging Russian aggression. President Trump is simply ringing the warning bell. (laughs) Russia's going to invade Germany? Really? Tom Cotton looks like a constipated pencil. Tom Tillis... North Carolina, co-chair of the Senate NATO Observer Group, says he doesn't think Trump honestly believes this. He said, take Trump seriously, but not literally. They're normalizing it all again. We know that Donald Trump privately talked about pulling out of NATO several times when he was president. John Bolton has told us this. John Bolton has said a U.S. withdrawal would almost certainly happen in a second Trump term. And Donald Trump's campaign website has only one vague reference to what he plans to do with NATO. It actually says on the Trump 24 site, we have to finish the process we began under my administration of fundamentally reevaluating NATO's purpose and NATO's mission. This is dark stuff, guys. <laughs> and it should be the biggest story in the world. But oh no, Biden is 81 with a stutter. Meanwhile, Donald Trump is also uh, taking credit for Taylor Swift's success. I'm sure you know about this. He took credit for Barack Obama economic trends that he didn't change. He's taking credit for Joe Biden economic trends that began after he left and Joe Biden changed the economy. But you probably heard by now 
He tweeted over the weekend or whatever his filth social website is uh, going after Taylor Swift in the most cowardly and douchebaggy of ways. I signed and was responsible for the Music Modernization Act for Taylor Swift and all other musical artists. Joe Biden didn't do anything for Taylor and never will. There's no way she could endorse crooked Joe Biden. (laughs) Now, um, okay, here's the deal. Donald Trump does not know what the Music Modernization Act does. Donald Trump was not responsible for the Music Modernization Act. He merely signed it. And I will bet you 100 Yankee dollars that Donald Trump could not spell the Music Modernization Act if you asked him and gave him a dry erase board. Donald Trump does not pay for music he uses at his rallies. And he uses music at his rallies that the artists have asked him not to. So the Music Modernization Act was designed to help protect artists and help protect their royalties. But Donald Trump uses music artists have told him he can't use. What I'm saying is the man is not a big fan of getting consent for things. (laughs) So why does Trump publicly demand Taylor Swift not endorse Joe Biden? Why Why is he doing this? Because he's trying to intimidate her. It's what weak men do. He knows his awful fan base will threaten to attack her and try to hurt her family, try to hurt her record sales, try to defame her anyway in defense of Trump. He's picking a fight with a famous white girl because he's got fans who will do anything they can do to terrorize and antagonize famous white girl. It's fascism, folks, and it's weakness. I can't shake it off. Meanwhile, in the, in the Super Bowl, did you happen to see the RFK ad? Oh, wow. Uh, they asked me to talk about this on Joy Reid's show tonight, and I got in trouble because I, I, I referred to his campaign as uh, the grassy knoll of presidential campaigns. And apparently that's it's too soon for some folks. But I want to play just a bit of this ad that just dropped during the Super Bowl, which borrows literal ad copy and animation from his uncle Jack's campaign for president in 1960. A9. So the animation is the original 1960 ad with some pictures of RFK Jr. thrown in. Now, this super PAC runs this ad. It costs $7 million. $7 million for that ad, funded by, as you know, big Donald Trump donors who are colluding with the Robert Kennedy Jr. campaign. I mean, he's running this on the family name, and this is trying to pull votes from Biden. And and I love Robert Kennedy. He's been on this show. I've worked with him in the past. I have a lot of respect for him. His career as an environmental lawyer is heroic. I don't understand this any more than I understand Dr. Cornell West's campaign right now. They seem really devoted to helping Donald Trump get as many votes as he can from young guys in seven swing states. And that's all it's about. JFK's grandson, Jack Schlossberg, put up a video post last summer saying RFK Jr. is about trading in on Camelot, celebrity conspiracy theories, and conflict for personal gain and fame. He is not going to win any primaries or any elections. He's not even going to win the Kennedy family primary in Hyannisport this year. His cousin, Bobby Shriver, went on Twitter and said, My cousin's Super Bowl ad used our uncle's faces and my mother's. She would be appalled by his deadly health care views. Respect for science, vaccines, and healthcare equity were in her DNA. RFK responded in a tweet 
to his cousin publicly, saying, I'm sorry if the Super Bowl advertisement caused anyone in my family pain. The ad was created and aired by the American Value Super PAC without any involvement or approval from my campaign. FEC rules prohibit Super PACs from consulting with me or my staff. I love you all. God bless you. But it's kind of bullshit, don't you think? The ad was only trying to further his attempts to capitalize on his last name. His family should be annoyed. He said he didn't know the ad would air. But you know what? I checked out his Twitter feed today, and it's still pinned to the top. <laughs> People are calling this plagiarism from JFK. I, I, I call it grave robbing. And this is all about him being well-financed by people who really want to see Donald Trump back in office. I have many critiques of Joe Biden. My favorite thing about him is billionaires hate him. My second favorite thing about him is he's never asked me for money to pay his kid's legal bill. Trump has done that. And and finally, I just want to one more Super Bowl note because <sighs> Megyn Kelly made the news about it. And that you know Megyn Kelly. You know Megyn Kelly, our former friend over there at uh at Fox News and then at briefly at NBC News and now our current coworker here at Sirius XM. God bless her. I hope I'm her secret Santa at the Christmas party at some time. You know, Megyn Kelly, who said pepper spray was a food product and pizza was a vegetable and Fox News was news. Megyn Kelly, who said that Santa and Jesus are both white, just like everybody else she knows. She didn't like people who were black at the Super Bowl being black. Um, not into Usher or this halftime show. However, I do appreciate that my kids haven't had anyone's vag exposed to them on screen as they innocently wait for the football to start. Hi, J-Lo, Shakira. Okay, I saw that Super Bowl with J-Lo and Shakira. I'm pretty sure she was watching something else. I don't know what she saw, but I'd like her browser history. And then she got really mad because her whiteness was not catered to. The so-called Black National Anthem, she tweeted, does not belong at the Super Bowl. We already have a national anthem, and it covers and includes everyone. Now, this is the lady who says, Jesus was white, and blackface is all right. And I will give $100 to anyone who can show me tape of Megyn Kelly ever calling a white lawbreaker an illegal or a thug. $100. I love the performance of Lift Every Voice and Sing. NFL does a lot of things that are propaganda. Their, rac their record on race is terrible. It was really troubling seeing two indigenously problematic team names. But Lift Every Voice and Sing is the black anthem, yes, but the message is for all of us. Lift Every Voice and Sing. That includes you, Megan. I consider that song to be far more patriotic and far more Christian than, say, the third verse of the Star Spangled Banner, which deals with runaway slaves helping the British to fight for their freedom. Francis Scott Key was a slave owner. Very, he wasn't just a slave owner, he was anti-abolitionist. And in the third verse, he mentions slaves and their role in the battle on both the American and the British side. And he had a very special message for enslaved humans, like the ones he owned, who had dared to fight for freedom. We will pursue you to get revenge. No refuge could save the hireling and slave from the terror of flight or the gloom of the grave. I got nothing against the anthem, at least the first verse per se, but lift every voice and sing till earth and heaven ring, ring with the harmonies of liberty, speaks more to me and what this country's supposed to be than taunting and threatening slaves who are helping the British because they're tired of being a white man's property. And this is, this is the right wing. They're not mad that black folks would need more protection. They're mad they ask for it. They're not mad at racism. They're mad that there are protests of racism. They're more mad at Colin Kaepernick's knee than they're mad at Derek Chauvin's. They're not mad that we need 
a Black Lives Matter movement. They're mad that people say Black Lives Matter. And they're not mad that black folks feel like they need an uplifting anthem. They're mad that they have one. And I don't want to bash Megyn Kelly. I Look, I loved her work as Queen Elsa in Frozen. She was great. But if she were to come out and say, oh, Usher's great, and I love the Black National Anthem, great performance, you know what would happen. You know what would happen. Her base would be furious for not criticizing black people while they're being black. And she would be called woke and a rhino and a globalist cuck, critical race theory, DEI race traitor. Like she was seven years ago when she briefly stood up to Donald Trump. So she has to put black folks down like this. It's pathetic. And she has to sell this hatred because I I don't know that she has the skills to sell love for positivity. So I hope you enjoyed the game, Megan. You'll never criticize Trump because, well, she's got hypocrisy coming out of her whatever. We want to know what you guys think. We are at 866-997-4748. 866-997-GRIT. We've got a lot of show to get to tonight. We're so glad you're with us. We'll be back in just a moment with your calls. And let's go deep on Haiti. The mainstream media is not, and they really should. Let's start picking up the slack. This is Progress. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. And welcome back. We're going to talk about Haiti a bit. It's a country I love. And some of my favorite people in the world are from Haiti, or their parents are. January was Haiti's most violent month in two years. U.N. High Commissioner for Human Rights on Friday issued an urgent warning about the deepening human rights catastrophe that's going on there. And it's a catastrophe our media has not been paying as much attention to as they did the earthquake 14 years ago. Haiti's state is near collapse. Armed groups have overrun the country. Most government officials have fled after the assassination of the president in 2021. Right now in Haiti, not a single elected leader holds office. Refugees are getting on boats, desperately trying to reach the U.S. or Latin America. And of course, man-made and natural disasters are still affecting the economy and keeping people mired in deeper poverty. Much of their infrastructure has been completely destroyed. And this is the nation, the only nation in our hemisphere, where an enslaved population drove out their oppressors. How did a nation founded on liberation come to such a dire precipice? I've been to Haiti, and I consider it to be a holy place, 
steep in suffering, pain, and resilience. But Jake Johnston is an expert. He is Senior Research Associate at the Center for Economic and Policy Research in D.C. He's been the leading writer for the Center's Haiti Relief and Reconstruction Watch website since February of 2010, just weeks after that earthquake devastated Haiti. You may have read his stuff in the New York Times, The Nation, ABC News, or Boston Review. His new book is called Aid State, Elite Panic, Disaster Capitalism, and the Battle to Control Haiti. And it offers a sobering look at how Haiti is finding itself on the brink of collapse and how it got there and how it could be helped. It's a real pleasure to welcome Jake Johnston to SiriusXM. Thanks so much for having me. Well, thank you so much. And thank you so much for writing this book. I, I, I wonder all the time, and we discuss all the time, why, why doesn't the media talk about what's going on in Haiti? Why, why does it take a book like yours to get some attention in mainstream media when so much of our media that's drawn to scandal, that's drawn to suffering, that's drawn to images of human desperation, they don't even care for the ratings? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, I, I, I right in the book, you know, for, for 200 years, over 200 years, right, since that successful slave revolt. You know, Haiti has been a mirror of morality held up to the world, right? And yeah. we continue to fail that test. And I think that has a lot to do with why we're not looking closer at the situation, because looking at the situation in Haiti today means confronting our own hypocrisies and our own role in helping bring it there and how we're stopping or not doing enough to change that dynamic and to actually offer a brighter future. What first began your interest with Haiti, sir? Yeah, so my engagement really started, um, you know, like you mentioned, after the 2010 earthquake. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm based in D.C., right? I, I'm not in Haiti. But it was pretty clear, you know, our organization had had a lot of, um, you know, connections and groups that we had worked with in Haiti in the past. And we were struck right from the beginning, just this total disconnect. What we were hearing from folks on the ground and what we were hearing in Washington, right? And these huge pledges of trying to build back better and reconstructing Haiti and really lofty goals that that all sounded good. And yet there was this real disconnect, this total mismatch here. And so I think like a lot of people, you know, what we started doing from, from our perspective in Washington was where's this money going, right? Who's actually getting it? And what really shook me, and I think is one of the reasons why I've stayed engaged with this so long was you know, the money, was going to organizations that I could basically see from my window in Washington, right? I mean, these were companies here, not in Haiti. And that was the beginning of, of this sort of uh, long journey of trying to track this money and, and unpack not just where it was going, but why it was going there in the first place. You, you say in the book, the collapse of the Haitian state shouldn't have has come as a surprise. In fact, it was an inevitability. <sighs> I have so many dumb questions I want to ask, but on a basic level, what do the average Americans need to understand about how the crisis in Haiti has developed? Because it, it didn't start overnight, and most of us are old enough to remember Bill Clinton sending Sam Nunn and Colin Powell down there in the 90s to restore Aristide, and we thought, oh, good, America's finally caring, and yet we got nowhere. I, this is your job, is explaining to dumb white people like me in America what's going on, but what do our fellow Americans need to understand? Yeah, I think the biggest thing to try and understand is, again, and this coming from a perspective of somebody outside and who's focused on on U.S. policy and how U.S. policy is, is affecting the situation, right, is understanding the myriad ways in which we are on a daily basis shaping this Haitian state that is in the midst of collapse right now, right? And I think you really have to go back. And obviously, you know, I am appreciate that you led with, with the history of Haiti, right? Because I think if there's 
basically one fact that most Americans actually know about Haiti. It's that's the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, right? This yeah. is the line in every news article about it. And that's so devoid of context, right? And and I think Correct. that was the motivation behind writing this book was this isn't a failed state, right? This is an aid state. And here are the ways in which our government has contributed to that, right? And so there, we're not just talking about the occupation of Haiti for 19 years in the early 20th century, or before that, when we took all of the gold in the Bank of Haiti and brought it up to Citibank in New York for safekeeping, but the way it's happening even right now, right? Uh, so of course the earthquake, and, and we look at the situation today, you, you gave this rundown at the opening of, of how dire the situation is on the ground right now. But like you said, this didn't happen overnight, right? This didn't happen in a vacuum. And I think in a lot of ways we can look at the situation today and trace it right back to these decisions that were made after the earthquake to intervene and overturn election results in 2010 that ushered somebody into the presidency that now the UN is accusing of financing the gangs that are terrorizing the country, right? We helped put him there. We have to understand that if we want to figure out how to chart a different path in terms of U.S. relationships with Haiti moving forward. And and sadly, we see it continuing today where an unelected, unpopular prime minister who came to power basically from a tweet and a press release from the international community in Haiti after the assassination of President Moïse in 2021 is still in power two plus years later while the situation continues to get worse and worse and worse. And why is he there? because he continues to have that foreign support. And we really need to understand the power of U.S. policy and the power uh, that changing it would have. I mean, I I completely agree. When I first got to Haiti, one of the first things I witnessed was um, the the boxes, the crates of, of donations from overseas would come in the harbor and they would be dumped on the pier and folks would just run up to them, open them up, take all the clothes and goods out, And by that night, they'd be selling them on the streets. There was no organization dispersing things to the needy. And I remember saying to the soldiers escorting me, oh, my God, I can't believe it's like this. And they said, yeah, but they'll eat tonight. They're selling that stuff now, and they're trying to start their own economy from the ground up. That's them with no aid trying to start an economy. And all I could think was, I don't understand anything about this beautiful place or the suffering these beautiful people have been through. Uh, to that point, at least 806 people were killed, injured, or kidnapped just last month in January. Uh, on top of that, some 300 gang members were either killed or injured, bringing the total number of people who've been killed, injured, or kidnapped in just the month of January this year, 1,108. That's more than three times the number recorded in January of 2023. What has caused such a substantial escalation in the violence in just 12 months is it i mean it's it's everything isn't it there's no one thing to point your finger at there's no one thing to point your finger at but i do think we need to sort of take a step back and look at what the drivers are of of this insecurity right and so there are sort of the big more historical factors right again going back to the revolution right even 200 plus years the haitian state has always been externally oriented, right? And not internally oriented on its people, right? And and over time, and this has been perpetuated and strengthened and reinforced by myriad international interventions over these two centuries. But again, you have this huge disconnect between the Haitian state and the Haitian people. The state doesn't provide for the people, it doesn't represent the people, and it's not accountable to the people, right? And so what happens in that environment, right, is you you have this sort of societal breakdown where the population is is not getting their needs met, there aren't public services, right, these things don't exist. And so you're pushed into sort of the margins of society, and that creates an environment that I think is is ripe for this sort of, uh, you know, activity that we've seen more recently. But beyond that, you know, we look at more proximate causes and, and what's doing this. And again, this isn't just like 
random people picking up guns and and, and doing violence, right? I mean, there right. is a reason behind this. And so what you saw really over the last, I mean, this is, again, something with historical roots, but we really saw it emerge and take on a new life over the last decade where armed groups in the capital which have traditionally been used to sort of represent those neighborhoods, protect those neighborhoods, sort of give them a seat at the table to a certain extent in this unfair environment, has sort of been turned into, in a sense, mercenaries for the political and economic elite who are using them to seek power, to seek land, drug traffickers who are using them to seek safe routes and territory. And we've reached a situation now where these groups have become so independently powerful as well that they're also more difficult to control. Right. And so what we saw the last number of years was the police itself really collapsing under its own politicization and and number of policies that we could talk more about. But with the elite, the political elite, without having a a force like the police that they could rely on to keep the order that they so desire, the stability for them, not the people. Right. They've turned to paramilitaries. Right. And again, this is something with a historical precedent, but it's really something we've seen take off in the last five years or so. No one is safe. No one is safe. You know, and it's, it's one of the reasons why I say this was inevitable in the sense that, you know, for a long time, what I call the aid state, right? It, it worked for a certain sector, right? It worked for the elite. It worked for some foreign actors. It worked for some foreign corporate. It wasn't working for the Haitian people. And that was always what was going to lead to collapse. But today it's not working for anybody, right? I mean, very, very few people are actually benefiting from the situation that it is today. And, you know, I think that's what potentially could create some space for change. So let me ask you about the title of your book, because, yes, a lot of folks who cover the history and the current situation in Haiti often refer to it as a failed state. Um, In your book, you suggest we consider this more honest designation that's an aid state. What do you mean by that? And and let me ask, um, what does such a shift in perspective accomplish? Yeah, it's a good point. I think. For, to, to take the latter part first, really, right? I mean, this is, it's not just about assigning blame, right? Or saying who's responsible for where we are today. This is about understanding how we got here so that we can do something differently moving forward, right? And that's what's so important. And so what we're really getting at with this term aid state is just this pushback on the concept of failed state, which is putting all of the blame internally. And I think that's perpetuated by, and for a lot of reasons, including sort of just over racism, is this perception that Haiti can't govern itself, that Haitians aren't capable of doing this kind of work. And that's just the furthest thing from the truth, right? I mean, you've, you spend some time in Haiti. I mean, I think we can all, we can spend the rest of the show just talking about how amazing the Haitian people are and how capable they truly are of doing these things. But Absolutely. there are forces that are preventing them from doing so, right? And so the t- term aid state is really about looking at what those external forces are that have caused this to be the situation today. So a shape that has been shaped more by external intervention and external actions than by the Haitian people themselves, a state that is accountable to outside actors over the Haitian people themselves. I I think when most of us think of aid, we think of humanitarian social action, but you take this a step further and you really go deep into the political ramifications from foreign engagement. What are some of the more obvious consequences of well-intentioned foreign involvement in Haiti? Yeah, this is exactly right. And I, you know, I just want to be clear, right? It's not to say that aid doesn't can't save lives or can't be good or there aren't good examples, right? I mean, I think I, I honestly believe that most people are trying to do good in this world, yeah. right? And, and I don't want to say that that's all I, bad. I want to say I spent but, a day with Sean Penn on his golf course where he turned a, a nine-hole golf course into a camp for 55,000 homeless people. I mean, there's been all kinds of people, not all the movie stars, but so many good people trying so hard to help. You're right. I'm sorry. Go ahead. 
Right. But I think, you know, we often disassociate that from what the long term effects are of these interventions. Right. And so looking at, you know, even the issue of humanitarian assistance. Right. Uh, so, yes, people might need food. They might need water. But if we're importing all of that food and water into Haiti, we're also having repercussions for the local market there. Right. So, if, for example, there was huge you know, planes full of bottles of water coming into Haiti after the earthquake. That's right. There was a, a, a factory in Port-au-Prince that was making bottles of water, right? But they couldn't barely function because all of this free water was all of a sudden there on the ground, right? We could have sourced things locally. Same thing with aid. We've seen this with, with aid for rice. We've seen this historically. Uh, Bill Clinton even apologized for this after the earthquake, the policies with rice, which was good for my farmers in Arkansas, not so great for the farmers of Haiti, right? We're dumping subsidized U.S. rice into Haiti. Yes, that feeds people, but it also has knock-on effects. And I think for me, right, it wasn't just these sort of economic knock-on effects, but also the long-term political effects, right? So when public services are being outsourced and handed over to NGOs, private sector actors, charities, things like this, this does have a real effect on the politics of a country and the state and the strength of it. And it disassociates, again, that state from the people. And we're talking about this dynamic of a state that's not represented for 200 years. These aid policies just reinforce that. They strengthen that dynamic rather than actually addressing it. And in that way, are really consolidating this, as I describe it, an inherently unsustainable status quo. Well, I mean, this has been your career for over a decade. You 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 follow the money. You, you've gone after the waste and the fraud. You, you cover the good intentions and the corrupt intentions. And I think the story of your book is that when you were looking for where the money had gone, it seems like it's a bigger story than that. It's not just where the money had gone, but why it had gone there in the first place. Not just because of an earthquake, but also, and you cover this, it's about a revolution that had begun more than 200 years earlier and is still unfinished. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think in so many ways, uh, Haiti's still paying for that initial success, right? Um, Both in overt ways, but also... uh, through these systems that the United States uses to interact with the world that carry the weight of that history with them, right? And have that institutional racism and imperialism built into the system. And so when we look at foreign aid, for example, and how the U.S. gives foreign aid, you know, we have to ask ourselves, why are we giving this foreign aid, right? Why is USAID delivering this aid? Whose interest is it actually in? When we source things from the U.S. and not from Haiti to give them to Haiti, is that a decision about development in Haiti or is it a decision about economic interest here in this country, right? And if we want to fix that, if we want to do something in Haiti's interest, right, it's not about Haiti changing. It's about us changing, right? Changing the way we interact with the world to allow Haiti to choose its own destiny, right? But that takes conscious decisions from policymakers here, not just changing the rules of the game, but also just changing uh, what the motivations are behind the way the U.S. interacts with the world. Well, and there's so much to be learned about U.S. foreign policy across the world here in your book. I mean, I'm thinking about how we optimistically believe that democracy can be imposed and planted in another country, uh, not homegrown, not organically, but we'll we'll bring it to you and you guys can start doing this. Uh, you write, the reality is that a state cannot be imposed from outside. Its legitimacy must be homegrown. It's a lesson learned from Haiti, but also from Afghanistan and myriad other countries where the U.S.-led nation building has failed. That's not to say that democracy is not the way eventually, right? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. But you have to let that process play out, right? And so just to bring it up to the current situation right now, right? You've got this prime minister that the U.S. continues to back and support, and it's giving him the leeway to not negotiate with his political opponents, to not have some sort of a power sharing or balance of power amongst those who are actually controlling the country. 
everyone wants these elections to happen. Everyone wants free, fair, democratic, beautiful elections. Okay, but how do you get there, <laughs> right? And if U.S. policy is making that path more difficult, right? Again, in the name of this sort of you know mythical stability that we seek across the world, we end up making instability inevitable. And so the very policies that we're pursuing. It might be two days, it might be two years, it might be 20 years, but they're continuing to blow back on us, right? And I think, you know, that's what we're seeing in Haiti today. I know you've talked to many U.N. officials. What do your contacts at the U.N. feel should be done? I mean, it seems like Haiti is, in many ways, what the U.N. was designed for. This is a great chance for the U.N. to show the world how useful and consequential it can be. Yeah, I think, you know, there's a really interesting dynamic here. What we see, you know, and, and I've certainly experienced firsthand quite a bit is when you talk to policymakers, whether it be in the UN, the US, you know, aid workers, et cetera. I, I think most people actually are, are are not really opposed to the analysis that I'm putting forward, even if it seems sort of very overtly critical of their work, right? They get it. I mean, people know that this isn't working, right? I mean, it doesn't take, uh, you know, this isn't this isn't rocket science here. This is not some crazy conspiracy theory. It's like you open your eyes, you can know, you know the system's not working, right? But how do you actually change that? That becomes much more difficult. And the people who are in those positions where they're actually, you know, carrying out the work on a day to day basis, their hands are usually tied by people a lot more powerful than them. Right. And so, you know, for example, um, with USAID, right, they know that it would be better for local development if they gave more money to local companies. Right. Right. Again, this is a development consensus across the globe. Why can't we do it? Right. Well, we tried. We have tried. There are ongoing reform efforts. In 2010, after the earthquake, we tried to uh, give more money to local groups, break up these big for-profit contractors, the, the big 50, $100 million contracts that are sort of the bread and butter of USAID. Those same companies turned around, hired a lobbyist, and started lobbying in D.C. against those reforms. Right? So USAID is funding the companies who are then lobbying against the changes. Right. So we got to take a step back and realize how this system is perpetuated and how we continue to enable it, because it's not about individual choices here. It's not one person choosing to do something differently. This is this is much bigger than any of that. What has been the impact of the Haitian people you've met on your life and on your work? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, look, none of this is possible without without them. Right. And, you know, I, you introduced me as an expert. I, I'll take the compliment. But, you know, I, I focus on U.S. policy. Right. There is more about Haiti that I will never know than I do know. Right. I think we have to be honest with ourselves about that. Right. And and yeah, I mean, for me, you know, I, I, I talk about this a little bit in the book. What You know, why did I start? doing this and why have I continued to do it for as long as I have, right? I mean, yes, it started because this was a a lens, a view, a way for me to understand the way my government, the U.S. government was behaving abroad, right? How its foreign policy actually happened. The reason why I've kept doing this because, as you know, Haiti is an amazing place with amazing people who opened their doors to me, showed me around the country, you know, asking for nothing in return, but just wanting people to actually see what their reality is. Right. And I think, you know, that is what has sustained us for the for the time, you know, that I've continued to do this and, and why I have no intention of stopping because, um, you know, it's it's a population of people who I obviously care deeply about. And, and your book does warn of the inevitable blowback that's likely still to come. What would that look like? What would things getting worse look like? What are your greatest fears? Yeah, look, I mean, I think there's no doubt that things can always get worse, right? There's sort of this perception like, well, things have gotten so bad, they've got to turn around. And, you know, I think that's not necessarily the case. I think what I'm talking about blowback too, though, it's also about blowback on the US, right? We often close our eyes and don't 
think about the impacts of our policies abroad, but they often show back up at home and have real costs, uh, not just actual money costs, but political costs as well, right? And I think, you know, we're looking at a political environment right now where uh, Democrats are perpetuating what has been largely a bipartisan policy for decades in Haiti, uh, but it's going to cause them harm. I mean, in 2016, I think a significant reason why Hillary Clinton ended up losing Florida was because Haitians weren't enthused to vote for her after her record in Haiti, right? And if policymakers can't understand that this will blow back eventually one way or the other, or it's migrants coming to the U.S. giving Republicans a talking point to go after Democrats, right? Like, these things do matter even for your domestic political interests here. Uh, now, obviously, they matter for more important reasons, right, for 10 million plus people in Haiti. But there's also a case to be made that this matters politically for, for our leaders here in the country today. Jake Johnston is Senior Research Associate at the Center for Economic and Policy Research in Washington, D.C. His new book is Essential. It is Aid State, Elite Panic, Disaster Capitalism, and the Battle to Control Haiti. Thank you so much for joining us. This platform is always open to you, sir. Please come back anytime. And thank you for your service in covering everything that's happening to this beautiful nation. It's really a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much. And uh, thanks for shining the light on Haiti for a little while. Please come back back again. We'd love to have you. Quick break. We'll be right back with your calls. This is SiriusXM Progress. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I am so pleased to welcome these next guests to the show. They've all been here before, but I've never had two of them in person. And uh, it was that kind of weekend, folks. Donald Trump actually was encouraging Russia to invade and conquer and wipe out the identities of NATO allies, which means your media is going to talk a lot more about Joe Biden's age. Joe Biden's age is now but her emails and Hunter Biden's laptop all at once. So I need to make sense of this with people who are smarter than me, funnier than me, and more attractive than me. And fortunately, that's not really hard. Um, let's get to it. I am so pleased to welcome back the co-host of the Doom Scroll podcast. Matthew Sheffield is the publisher of Flux, host of the Theory of Change video podcast. His stuff about right-wing extremism and misinformation and technology trends have been quoted everywhere from the New York Times to the Washington Post to CNN. It's good to have you with us, sir. Thank you, John. Good to be here. For those who don't know, what is the Doom Scroll podcast? 
Well, it is a satirical look at the news, and basically the entire premise is we live in a very fucked up world, and we might as well have some laughs while we watch everything burn. There you go. That's sort of my religious devotion as well. Uh, Your co-host is also with us. It's so great you guys could be here together. Thank you. Lisa Curry is a super funny comedian who plays all over the place. Um, You may have seen her on her national tours opening for Jim Jeffries, and uh, she has had many jobs as a correspondent as well, and you're about to fly to New York to be funny for people. Yeah. Uh, I Where mean, hopefully. Let's see. Uh, shit, I cannot remember the names <laughs> of the place. There, it's like some offbeat place somewhere in Jersey, and then there's a place somewhere in Endwell, New York. Oh, 607 Comedy, Binghampton, Okay, Endwell, yeah. New York. Oh, right on. You're going all over on the place. On Saturday I mean, and on Thursday Union somewhere. In, oh, and that. then I'm on Good God in Union Hall. I'm yeah. not headlining out there, but I'm doing a lot of spots and features and it's stuff a great like room. that. Yeah. Oh, oh nice. it's so fun. I love Union uh, Hall. Oh, it's the best. Well, it's thanks the for best. being here it's with us. Yeah, yeah. I used to love playing me. there when I wasn't working at night. Um, also joining us back is America's Sweetheart. You guys know <laughs> Mona Shake if you listen to this show. Uh, comedian, host, and producer of Minority Report. She's been featured in the LA Times and Newsweek and The Guardian, and she's played all over the place. Um, and she was selected as the first Pakistani female comedian for the Laugh Factory's Funniest Person in the World competition and made history by becoming the first Pakistani female comedian to headline the Hollywood Improv. It's what, what, what's that? What's that? <laughs> <laughs> I can read a more updated it's, bio if you want. So, it's uh, you know what it is. It's like sometimes you do things and then you hear somebody else. Well, thank first of all, thank you for having yeah, me. Yeah, first of all, it's not that <laughs> thank you so bad, much. Man. Thank you for having me. I mean, I'll, I'll bring some white thank out you to your resume me. and take thank it you. off. Doll, I, I need a tequila shot. Uh, I um, no, 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 no. I was just saying, like sometimes I think when you do things and then somebody reads them out to you, you're like, ah. Yeah, but breaking into stand up as a woman is already fucked up and hard. Breaking into stand up as a Pakistani woman, yeah, the balls on you. How dare you in this country try something like that? I mean, like look, that? I they rave about my balls apparently, <laughs> especially in Pakistan. Like they really rave about it. We had quite a weekend, uh, there was obviously a big football game, and I had a really hard time thinking that Benjamin Netanyahu wasn't using all of our attention focused on the football game to um, slaughter a lot more civilians in a way that will never make the people of Israel safe, but will keep his war going a few months longer so he can stay out of jail. Will arguably make all of us less safe. I agree. All of us. uh, Yeah. It, pe- people mm. like just don't think all these people that are like, but what would you do if your country was attacked? I'm like, yes. Also ask that question to the other side. Yeah. <laughs> like if somebody wiped out my entire country and my entire family, I my life's work would be killing them. Of course. I, that, of course. It, right. And understandably so. Regardless of your religion or, yeah. Yeah. you know, what side of a line you live Absolutely. on. Absolutely. I mean, the the question is, you know, let's get this out of the way. Hamas is evil. Hamas are Nazi fucking bastards. They're horrible. October 7th was an atrocity. There is nothing good to say about Hamas. They are mm-hmm. douchebags and they hurt the Palestinian cause. Now that that's done, I really think this is Netanyahu's campaign to stay out of prison. And the longer he can keep the violence going, uh, the more he can. A year ago, it was just young people and liberals protesting him in the streets. Now it's everyone. And I think he is literally willing to slaughter everyone living in Gaza if it gives him an extra day in power, an extra day away from facing justice. Yeah, I think that's right. And and people in Israel sometimes refer to him as Trump with a brain. And 
I think that's a good comparison. Like he is uh, a lot smarter than Trump, but at the end of the day, they're both criminals and lifelong criminals, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, they'll do anything to stay out of power. And this is but his, but, but his he, version of that. But yeah. but he propped them up. I mean, he oh, has well, propped up Hamas like because he yeah. needed yeah. a bad guy. And yep. I've always said they were like yeah. codependent wartime consigliers. They need each other to stay in power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If peace broke out, they'd all be out of jobs because they're no good for anything except hating the other side. Well, and their own populations don't like them anymore. Like that's right. The yeah. people in Gaza don't like Hamas anymore, and the Israelis don't like Netanyahu, but he won't let them have elections because he wouldn't win. That's well, and as long as he to. has our backing, he can continue just spreading out across the Middle East and making it a bigger and bigger conflict uh, until you just have to avoid that entire part of the globe. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's yeah. uh, <laughs> terrifying. I, I feel like... I feel like when I watched that ad, I don't know how... So first of all, there were like three religions that were just dominating the Super Bowl. Right. Uh, Jesus was there, so yeah. good on him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Scientology was like, I was like, what? Scientology showed up. Okay, what's up? <laughs> it's um, always in season. I mean, okay, let, let's be real though. Like Scientology, kind of the coolest religion out there, right? Their founder had a birth certificate. Did Jesus, Moses, yeah. and Muhammad have that? Yeah. <laughs> no, they did not. Listen, I would never attack Scientology, and neither would my beard wife. Right. No. <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah. And then, um, and then the, uh, of course, the uh, the victimhood ad, like bring them back, like you know, stop the hate. And I was like, for Israel, for Israel. I got no problem with an ad saying bring the hostages back. I don't have a problem with bring the hostages back. I do have a problem with uh, while you're simultaneously saying that you're murdering people and slaughtering them well, at the same time. that's my issue. Like how, can mm-hmm. you defend yourself from a smaller country that you are occupying? That has no military. No. I mean, well, I mean this well, is, well, you know, yeah, like, like when, when, yeah. when, we, when our troops were in Iraq mm-hmm. and they would attack our troops to drive us out, the people who live there, yeah. our media would call that terrorism. Yeah. And I'd be like, well, how, they're trying to drive us out of their country. I mean, mm-hmm. how, how we we went in there and they're fighting back and we're acting like we're being attacked. The language is what gets me. And right. so I don't I have a lot of pro- again, Hamas evil. Mm-hmm. I, I get your angry tweets, guys, but Hamas evil. But can you really have self-defense against a country that you are occupying? I mean, Gaza is gone, right? Gaza is gone. So now you're left with Rafa. Which is the only place where they told everyone to go. Go. They told everyone you've got to go to Rafa. The shit out of that place. And now they're like, well, no, go back north. It's like there's nothing there. Right. Go so, back, but go it's back all to games. the rebel. Go, yeah. go but, but look, it's all games, the, right? In the ashes. Yeah, but it's all games. <laughs> and and the fucked up part is that, you know, Biden is supporting it. Yeah. Well, Biden can stop this with one call. I don't, one know if he call. Can, I don't know if he can stop it with one call, uh, but he can certainly change the dynamic and blow up a lot of support from certain donors and maybe maybe become a hero to the people of Israel. I don't know if he can stop Netanyahu from slaughtering these people. Because uh, he's already got the weapons and already He's got, got them already. This I want to play a clip. This like, oh, go go ahead, sorry, when he keeps saying, well, you know, I had a really stern talking to with him. What yeah, in the fuck? Yeah. Well, here, <laughs> what does here, that even mean? exactly that. He was meeting with Jordan's King Abdullah today, and here's President Biden telling the press that any Israeli offensive in Rafah must include protection of civilians. Mm-mm. A1. As I said yesterday, our military operation in Rafah the major military operation Rafa should not proceed without a credible plan, a credible plan for ensuring the safety and support of more than one million people sheltering there. Many people there have been displaced, displaced multiple times, fleeing the violence to the north, and now they're packed into Rafa, exposed and vulnerable. They need to be protected. And we've also been clear from the start 
We oppose any forced displacement of Palestinians from Gaza. Okay, so he said everything right. However, across town, here's National Security Spokesperson John Kirby. This is A3 saying there will be no withholding of any military aid to Israel, regardless of what is happening in Rafah. A3. On Rafah, does the has the president ever threatened to strip military assistance from Israel if they move ahead with a Rafah operation that does not take into consequence the, what happens with civilians? We're going to continue to support Israel. They have a right to defend themselves against Hamas, and we're going to continue to make sure they have the tools and the capabilities to do that. This is why I'm not a Democrat. What the fuck? It's I mean, psychotic. It's yeah. like, well, you better do this or else what? Well, or else nothing. We'll I mean, keep giving I'm you gonna money. Give, I'm going to yell at you. I loved Obama's yeah. speeches. I love Bill Clinton's speeches. But mm. I have to look at the policies. And I love mm-hmm. everything Joe Biden said. Someone in the White House wrote a speech that hit mm-hmm. all the right notes. But I don't see how this... Right. And I don't see how this is helping Joe Biden's mm-hmm. re-election. I get it. He's got to win. Because it's either Joe Biden, who's not doing enough for Palestine, or Donald Trump, who would love to see them all ground into dust and their children murdered. So I I totally get what's at stake here. But Mm -hmm. if I was Muslim living in Dearborn, Michigan, knowing how much Biden needs the state, I'd have very mixed feelings. I understand It's really... I'm not even living in Dearborn and I have mixed feelings. I'm a Muslim living in West Hollywood. With a bunch of lovely gay dudes. Yeah. Well, I have mixed feelings about that, too. I can't afford to live there. The rents are too damn high. I don't How have do any mixed it? feelings about that. How do you that? do it? Uh, gay men, uh, you know, up my self-esteem, so I love hanging out oh, with them. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah I go, straight thing. men lower it, and then gay men. I, I always hung out with gay men. I, yeah. I'm a fag stag. The that's best. what they call me. Yeah. The best. <laughs> Sorry, now, now I've gone to inappropriate humor. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know. I just feel like this is going to be... If Joe Biden doesn't do anything to change the dynamic Mm -hmm. if he can't do anything to change the dynamic because whenever I hear like today Joe Biden called Netanyahu an asshole Mm -hmm. well Joe Biden leaked that so guys like me would hear it and not enough is actually all of it is like a this really shitty community community theater project right that's what (laughs) all of the politics is now it's like I somebody wrote a great script we're putting on a little play and uh, that's that (laughs) yeah Yeah, meanwhile I want to play one more clip from Jack uh, John Kirby at the national security spokes guy they asked him hey you want to comment on on NATO after Donald Trump said he would encourage Russia to attack and slaughter our allies here's uh, a four under this particular president President Biden as commander-in-chief, NATO is now more relevant, stronger, bigger than it's ever been before. Uh, and uh, he has really prioritized our, our network of alliances and partnerships around the world. And, of course, NATO is right at the forefront of that uh, when it comes to the security environment uh, on the continent uh, of Europe. Like, like if Barack Obama encouraged a, a foreign country to attack our allies, I kind of think it'd be the lead story on Monday. I kind of think our media would cover it more than who won the Super Bowl or whose girlfriend was there at the game. Or yeah, or just look at Hillary Clinton's deplorable comments. Like that was she was telling the truth that a lot of Trump supporters are fucking nuts and assholes. Mm-hmm. And that was the only thing that you heard about That's other right. than her emails for 3 straight months. And then here we have yeah, by contrast, Donald Trump saying, "Hey, you know, if you want to go and attack uh, well, these, think, our like, allies, go ahead and do it." And like, and he said the same. And like, sorry, he also said it with like with he asked them to hack the Democrats. Yeah, remember that? Like, of course. we totally forgot about that. Mm-hmm. This no, dude I didn't. Has, <laughs> but it's like we, he, you know, he he does all these so many things that are so fucked up, 
And we, you know, but the people just forget about him and they don't actually hold him accountable for any of them. That's true, true. It's flooding the zone. Well, with because shit, that's just Steve how Bannon he talks. Said. That's just how he talks. You yeah. saw Lindsey Graham, you saw Marco Rubio. That's just Donald Trump. That That's who he is. He's a, that, you know, yeah. he doesn't mean it. Don't go by by his words. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like, and it's all normalized. And our media really misses their Trump-sized ratings. Our media yeah. is going to be very happy if they can get Donald Trump back in the White House because their job is not to deliver the truth and not to fight for America. Their job is to satisfy their shareholders. Well, they need to be able again? to charge yep. five yeah. cents more for a diaper ad Can't they so they want Trump. Can't they just go down on them instead? I don't understand <laughs> why we're all being dragged through this. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't there another way to satisfy them? <laughs> I mean, I'm, uh, let me go to the Dylan in New Mexico on line three. Thank you for your patience. You're on SiriusXM. Man, I I'm going to tell you what. This, okay. This um, this shit has got to stop. The fact that we're insulting Biden for his age. All you got to tell these Republicans right? that are insulting him about his age is just say, "Hey, I want to see Fat Boy Trump get on a fucking bike. I'll pay money to see Fat Boy Trump get on a bike and say <laughs> Biden." On I'll a tell bike. you, sir. I'll tell you money. Donald Trump tried that once. He jumped. Donald that. Trump jumped on a bike in 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 2012, and the bike was never seen again. <laughs> yeah, I mean His the ageism ass makes, swallowed it. That, yeah, it was absorbed. <laughs> the, the the ageism makes me crazy in this country. I mean, uh, like I, I saw the I saw the sexism on Hillary Clinton. I saw the racism on Barack Obama. But goddamn, I I I will take the president who needs another nap over the president who needs another defense attorney. Martin Scorsese <laughs> is 80. Keith Richards is 80, and he's not even legally alive. De Niro is 80. <laughs> McCartney's 81. I mean, they put on a good show. I'm not really worried. I don't care if the president's old. I care about the ideology they have. I oh, care about yeah. what are the policies. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's like we've we have already proven in this country by having Trump as the president that the country can still function with a, you know, idiotic toddler as the president. So if a guy is old and, you know, needs to take a break once in a while and not do so many public appearances... Okay then, you yeah. know we mm-hmm. can fucking handle it. Like you're yeah. not voting just for the 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 guy to get up there and you know give you a snappy one liner and you know shine your shoe. It's like no, the the entire point is to sit down behind a desk and listen to smart people at, that you yeah you setting policy that are respected and say you know all right we'll do this one. But this is the media, that's right? It. Like like, <laughs> like no one's going to say well Biden's Biden's 81 and has a stutter, so I think I don't care about abortion rights or climate science anymore. Yeah, right. Well, that's and also we're... like Trump's supporters when you're saying like these people don't realize or they don't remember or whatever, I'm like they don't give a shit. Biden could go out there and say attack our NATO allies. They don't care. They love violence and they love chaos and they love some kind of I disagree. Of like I think they're tribalism. I think, oh, I think I they think, would hate Biden for anything he did. Biden could do everything Trump did today. Biden could do it tomorrow and they'd hate it tomorrow. <laughs> you know it would. You know. Yes, I do think so, but I don't think that they... I, what I should say is I don't think they're taking into account the seriousness of encouraging an enemy to attack an ally like they don't they're not clocking that at all they don't think it's a big deal they're just like yes that makes us strong and it's like you well they don't have any actual ideas like that's really that's it that's what there are no ideas there are no principles it's just people like us deserve power if they had plans that could help improve the lives Mm -hmm. of non-millionaires it's all they would talk about instead hunter fucking biden baby i'm sorry go ahead dylan (laughs) no this this is the thing. All all my liberals out there, all my progressives, stand up tall. Don't take no more shit from the Republicans. Your neighbor Republican, just look them dead in That's the face. Right. Tell them this. Yeah. 
you guys are electing a 91 count felon being charged with 91 <laughs> felonies charged with rape he's given cia agents away from other countries got them killed literally they don't care There's they don't care they he stole from vets you, gotta, you gotta look them in the face and you just gotta say you guys are sick and i don't know it. what you're doing just just tell them just tell them straight up just say the I, first you know, time he ran you but the you guys are sick but Dylan, the first time he ran, he had stolen from vets with a fraudulent online university. And he from called his children. He called women pieces charity. of ass. That yeah. was his son. But yeah, yeah. Uh, let's 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 through his know. foundation. Well, though. the douche doesn't yeah. fall far from the back. <laughs> uh, he had said that he was going to bring back torture and turn away war refugees, and the Christians thought it was just great. It's a cult of blind. I'm sorry, obedience. John. I have to stop you there. You said he ran. Let's be real. He has never sorry. ran. No, he didn't. He <laughs> but that Atlanta stripper ass he got. He, he can't run with that. Come on. Now. Yeah. that's a lot of junk to run with. Dylan, yeah. thank you very much for the call man i appreciate hearing from you yeah you know what though like i will say it's fun you know sometimes to beat right wingers into the ground rhetorically Mm -hmm. uh but what's a lot more productive is if you talk to your friends who don't like republicans but don't vote yes Mm -hmm. talk to them they're the ones they're the ones who need to hear you the most and they'll listen so to you true and not you know be a brick wall of dumbassery especially if, <laughs> especially if those friends who don't vote mm-hmm. live in seven certain states in this country because yeah, it's no kidding. white mm-hmm. people who can't make up their minds in seven states are going to decide the future of the world that's yeah. terrifying yeah, yeah, yeah it isn't is. it then welcome to america i say uh, <laughs> i'm terrifying. not in program but i do say democracy is like aa it works if you work <laughs> you have to be a participant <laughs> otherwise the whole system crumbles i, I agree 100%. but the problem is democracy is what they hate they say they mm-hmm. hate government they love government yeah. government's how they repay love their donors mm-hmm. one person one vote that's what they really hate mm-hmm. yeah. yeah absolutely um let's shift a little bit and talk about uh something that matters um super bowl yesterday <laughs> <laughs> the important stuff yeah i mean you know i didn't even watch it i didn't either no? actually i have a weird relationship with the super bowl because huh. i well i'm not popular at football part i i hate football but i love head injuries <laughs> so it doesn't really work for me um no i was working all day i, I checked in on it but it, it's usually the stuff surrounding the super bowl is more interesting mm-hmm. for sure the politics around it and there was a lot this year starting oh with the, obviously the ads um robert f kennedy jr yeah what oh a weird has exhumed from his uncle's crypt a 1960 <laughs> that was ad the weirdest ad ever i was at a super bowl party I'm talking to somebody and my back was to the television and I heard the jingle, which I'm familiar with. I'm obsessed with like vintage commercials and awesome. the Kennedy family and everything. And I was I like, had seen it too. what in the fuck is going? And I like just did a slow turn and I'm like, no way. Yeah. <laughs> he is. He did not steal that. And then like him to, he like wrote an immediate apology to his family and he's like, oh, I had nothing to do with it. I didn't know. Yeah, but that know? was rubbish. I it's mean, like, look, I, full disclosure, RFK has done the show before. I've worked with him. I, I've always admired him. This thing, this this episode, mm-hmm. it's it's breaking my heart, but his his cousins, you know, the Schreiber kids said, this mm-hmm. is messed up, man. Uh, you used our mother in this thing and we don't respect what you're doing. Yeah. And he said, I'm so sorry. I had nothing to do with it, but it's still the pinned tweet on his account. Yeah. Yeah. He's still actively promoting it. Yep. And he's not running for president. Not in any serious manner. This is ridiculous. I mean, today's Lincoln's <laughs> birthday. Lincoln was our first third party president. 38% of the vote. Mm-hmm. And he got, as a Republican, That's third right. party, he got him with 38% of the vote. I'm not anti third party, but he's not running a real campaign. These are Trump donors who are financing this mm-hmm. man. I don't understand what happened to him that's making him do it. I don't care. 
it's steroids. Just, I mean, is he going to be able to hurt Joe Biden? People say he's going to hurt Trump. I don't see that happening. I, I think if people, I, I hate to say it, but I think if, if Democrats are going to, if, if it looks like he's going to take a real bite out of Biden, Democrats are going to have to start talking about his personal life, which I there's normally don't material. believe in, but there's a lot of stuff in this guy's personal life that would dissuade people from voting for him. Yeah. Well, I have to say... <clears throat> and it's the, not heroin addiction. I respect him for that, but go on. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I have to say, like, the just the whole fact of his whole family publicly trashing him on Twitter, like, imagine, like, we everybody thinks that their family is the most psycho and the most dramatic. Like, mm-hmm. can you just imagine <laughs> your whole family in front of the entire world saying, this guy's a piece of shit. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> I can't feel, imagine that. Makes you feel so much better about my family, actually. Yeah, me too. That's what I I'm feel saying. so much better about That's my family. That's right. You know, like, we, we should all take a little solace in that. I just so. look at RFK Jr.'s campaign and I think, why do these horrible things keep happening to this family? Um, let me go to Jim calling from Michigan. Jim, what did you think uh, about the Super Bowl ad about Jesus? Hello? Hello. Welcome. You're on progress. Oh, there was just a sudden dead spot. Well, That's me. It's good to hear you. I just want to say that I attended a Church of the Brethren in the country that packed about 100 people into the pews on Sunday, and they did the foot washing thing in the basement every now and then. Okay. I like the foot washing thing. I think that's true Jesus stuff. That that part of the ad I found impressive. Now, it it happens that I did a deep dive and found out what you said about the homophobic dark money behind the ad, so Mm -hmm. I knew Uh that when my wife saw it, and she was favorably impressed, and I unleashed a load of crap on her, and she just responded in a way that made me feel sorry. Oh, okay. Well, uh, do you want me to talk to her for you? Can I help in any way? I'll I'll come over. (laughs) I think she's working out with some people in uh, a foreign country is about a credit card thing right now. Um, or maybe okay. she's headed to the sack. Uh, what I really needed to see in that ad were some obvious LGBTQ That's folks it, right? Did you guys see the Jesus ad? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, they, see, they showed I directed it. They, they, showed, they showed, you know, people, migrants, they showed Muslims, they showed all different races, all different backgrounds. I didn't see anybody washing the feet of a male-male couple. And you know, we find the out the dark is money that, is by these homophobes. And I'm sorry, man, when you're pushing homophobia, you're you're I don't believe you give a shit about Jesus because you can't be shitty to gay people and then tell me you follow the Nazarene who was never so shitty have, to gay I people. Have a test, I have a test for attending a church, John. There's a lot of people I know are kind of looking around for different churches and so forth. My really? question would be, do you do same sex marriages in your church? And if they said no, then I would say, well, you're a hate church, and I'm not going there. Okay. Yeah, I'm good for you. Pretty uh, sensible idea. Yeah. So I, I know that's a little old. Again, Jesus, uh, not against gay people. Jesus, not against the abortion ever. Uh, Jesus, not really against premarital sex, not against masturbation, not against birth control, and, um, yeah, and commands his followers to welcome the stranger. I shirt of yours, John. I bought that shirt in, the, in uh, Madison, actually, a couple oh, okay. years ago. Oh, uh, so uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about is uh, Biden with the age in the Gaza. One good thing about it is far, it's a good timing, I think. It's, at least it's not when the Comey stuff came out on Hillary back then. Good point. Good point. Um, and I think it's a political calculation on the Gaza thing. There's just more Jewish money than there is Arab slash Muslim slash Palestinian money in the United States as far as politics goes. I mean... I I would assume that 
but I don't know if that's what's driving it. I mean, keep in mind, American Jews, American Jews vote Democrat. American right. Jews generally they love Israel, conflict. but they're much more. Go ahead. There's a lot of nuance and conflict within these groups. I mean, there's there's Jewish groups that are demonstrating for peace all over the place. All it's, over the yep. place. Great Jewish groups. Uh, but well, Go that's ahead, that's the differentiation between anti-Zionist Jews and Zionist Jews, right? And listen, even Biden himself came out and said that you know, if I'm a Zionist, I mean, he's not he's not Jewish, mm-hmm. but he claimed himself to be a Zionist. Yeah. So I think uh, I that's think hardcore. I, that's like a fundamentalist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, to be to be honest, though, there are Zionist Jews who are also against. Yeah, there are the Gaza War as well. There yeah. are. Yeah, I mean, so it's that's there's no, there's a lot of shades of gray in this. True, but I mean, to me, <laughs> I, I I think your your question is uncomfortable, but it's a good one. I mean, how much of this is about financing of elections? When, I mean, maybe APAC gives out the big bucks to a guy like Joe Biden, but at the same time, American American Jewish voters go Democratic, which is also ironic mm-hmm. because Israel is so much more liberal than us in so many ways. Yeah. Women in combat, LGBT equality, abortions are legal and free. Healthcare, which public option do you want? Israel yeah. is so much mm-hmm. more By the way, gay marriage are. is not legal in Israel. Oh, I'm so sorry. I thought it was. Nope. Well, gay, gay, gay military service was legal long before it was gay legal. Gay military so, yeah. services, but gay marriage is not legal in Israel. And that's according to the Israeli consulate themselves. Right on. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it is just simply the squeaky wheel gets the grease. And, you know, in terms of, I mean, in, in terms of just general business arrangements, which you have, you expand it beyond that. Like, there is not a lot of business deals going on with the impoverished people of Gaza and the United States. I know. That's right. just how it is. And, and so, you know what? And I don't get yeah. it because like, mm-hmm. I look at Gaza and Palestine and I'm like, that's what you used to call an emerging market. Right. I mean, they, they blew up Gaza. So I'd like to see it rebuilt as a tourist resort area. The only problem is you can't go there. They don't have control of their own borders. They're in an open air prison. It could yeah. be a great place. Yeah. Gaza could be a tourism got economy. Pa- fantastic beaches. Actually. They could be That's, a tourism had, economy. Yeah. But Netanyahu won't let it happen. And he will see every child of Gaza dead before he sees them live and have self-determination and have control of their own borders. And I do think they have to acknowledge Israel's right to exist. There's good and bad on both sides here. I just I don't I don't know who in our government's trying to bring about a nonviolent solution to it. Well, and the idea that they have to be in the same country as the West Bank, that's just dumb. Like, why can't they both have their own thing? And yeah, they don't have to be. Mona? I mean, look, Hamas is not in West Bank and. You know, Palestinians living in West Bank are getting killed and beaten, right? That's right. Um, so Hamas has no foot. Well, there's, there's tunnels. There's West tunnels, Bank. Mona. Well, so we gotta... like... There's tunnels in New York, too, apparently. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you saw. But, uh, Holland Tunnel. Tunnel. That's right. Lisa, I'm sorry. There, there's snipers taking out kids, That's women, right. children, innocent people everywhere. It, hospital workers. And it's, by definition, a sniper is a fucking sharpshooter. It's not... These people aren't just like, whoopsie, we we bombed Hamas and they were being used as a human shield. Like, <laughs> No, they're specifically the, targeting. That's yes. ex- the they're most target. deliberate you can yeah. be. And I so, don't see how it makes Israel but, safer. But, but can I Does say not. something, though? This constant narrative and this constant thing that they keep saying that the, Israel has the right to defend itself. What are you defending yourself from? There's no army. There's no military. Hamas is next to know to, where to be found. Mm-hmm. Netanyahu was recently asked, how many... Many Hamas people have you, Hamas, you know, militants that you think you have killed. They're like, we've killed for every one Hamas person, only one Palestinian has died. 
Are you out of your fucking mind? <laughs> like the balls oh to God. say something, to make, and just be Insane. very blatant about it. Just to be so blatant about it. And I, I just want to circle back to one thing that this guy was saying, right? It, he was making a point about maybe that there's a lot more, you know, he was saying American Jewish money in America. I mean, look, America at its core is about, you know, Judeo-Christian values. Muslims well, we, are... We, we, we talk a good game of that we are. We talk yes. a good game, but, but look, Muslims are almost like new kids on the block in many ways in America, right? We are still kind of fairly new, mm-hmm. um, having been here for what, maybe like 40 years, 50 years tops, that Muslims have been just kind of been like, now, September 11th really kind of put us on the map in America, where people were like, who the fuck are these Muslim people? Yeah, good PR and then stuff. I, yeah, I mean, and then I got scared, and I was like, who the fuck are these Muslim people? I was like, oh shit, I'm one of the Muslim people. For the record, I had Muslim in-laws back as early as the 80s, so I was ahead of all <laughs> okay, the so ones. Exactly, so there you go, you go. Yeah. But right, that's just the 80s, so I feel like like there has always so we have been like the other for a long mm-hmm. time and we continue America's to be the that. other yeah. America's good at that they, we have been othered for a long time and September 11th really othered the shit out of us the only thing I know for sure is that the overwhelming majority of liberal or moderate Christians Muslims and Jews yeah. are getting along just fine all over the world yeah. right the fuck now yeah. mm-hmm. it is always the extreme conservative Christians, Muslims, and Jews yes. who are making the world interesting for the rest of us because they know God hates the same people they do and they know God doesn't mind if they use violence. It is not a religion. It is the extreme conservative wings mm-hmm. of all yeah. religions. Yep. Which, and by the way, I would even add, you look at the right-wing atheists. They also are now teaming up with these people because like Douglas Murray, who you know started off his career as an atheist activist, uh, now he's uh, you know all down with Muslim bands. That's and, right. You know, and and uh, there's this guy named James Lindsay who is like the servant of the Christian right here in America, like paid money, lots of money by Moms for Liberty, the Christo fascist. That's right. And he, you know, he he tried it to hack it as a, as an atheist philosopher, and he couldn't do it. I, so he's like, hey, I'm going to grift the Christian right wing. So, then let me include yeah. the evil douchebag atheist as well. We got to take a break. We'll be back in just a moment with your calls and uh, more talk about the Super Bowl and Usha. What was the best Super Bowl halftime show at all time? Because I need pop culture nonsense to keep me sane. 866 We'll be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. 
Well, she can do anything. I mean, I mean, mm-hmm. she kind of did a country song on the Lemonade album with Daddy mm-hmm. Lessons, but mm-hmm. Beyonce has decided to conquer country music, and I'm just going to get out of the way. Um, this song premiered last night, and she managed to steal Usher's Thunder and have the biggest story about the Super Bowl. <laughs> She's doing a reverse Taylor Swift. That's what. Yeah. <laughs> the Verizon commercial was great. Did mm. you watch the Verizon commercial? I didn't that see was, that, no. no. That was really good. And I think she hinted on the fact that um, she has a residency coming up at the Sphere ah. in Vegas. <gasps> oh, okay. Well, oh, that's going to be madness. I know. Oh, man. I mean, that's going to be Something else I can't night. afford, yeah. yeah. Okay. We are at SiriusXM. We're at 866-997-4748. 866-997-GRID. What's the best um the best uh, halftime show ever you did were, you weren't a fan of uh, the usher last night not at all no not i didn't get slightest. to see all of it i, I, I mean, think prince was like the I was gonna say my prince. number one prince yeah. in a do-rag singing all along the watchtower in the rain yeah was the craziest and playing greatest. his fucking ass off yes. yeah greatest halftime show yeah. ever michael yeah. jackson would be second i would say i would oh, put yeah. i would put u2 after 9 11 yeah, a second. Okay. I just everyone crying. You two is also my second favorite after nine eleven. <laughs> I, I love I love the, uh, the the Dr. Dre uh, Kendrick Lamar Eminem that was really uh, good spectacular two years ago as well. What's what, Michael Jackson's your number one or no Prince no, no, no. Prince one? is number one for Matt, sure. Are you also a Prince number one fan? Of um, this actually, I I I would Careful. have to say the the nine eleven. <laughs> Careful. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that I, I think everybody. Yeah, it was it was a moment where everybody. Actually, did actually come together for once, and yeah, yeah, and people like that. We all came together um, so Bush could attack a country that hadn't attacked us. It was beautiful. <laughs> uh, and what's more patriotic than that? I mean, come on, <laughs> that's right. Let's get American. <laughs> we are at. We've got to defend ourselves. 866-997-4748. I want to talk about uh, uh, John Stewart in a second, but first, let's go to Max, who's on the line on line eight from California. Max, thank you for your patience on hold. You're on progress. Well, it'd be Matt from California. Like oh, Matt sorry, Matt. But, uh, Welcome. I would say. Uh, I would say. Um, Prince, Prince was perfect the next year. I, yeah, loved it. Loved, yep. loved all Good of it. Um, okay, so here, guys, I've got a question for you. I have a really, really sweet gal that I'm starting to date, and we were sitting and chit-chatting the other day, and she told me her two favorite people in the world were Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin. (laughs) (laughs) Run for your life. (laughs) Those are green flags. I don't know what the problem is. If if it was a joke, man, like... Those are her two favorite people wow. in the world. What's which, her criteria? Was she, was she trying to get rid of you? Maybe, that, maybe that's why she said it? <laughs> that could be it. That, that's a very good point. Um, yeah, I, 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 I think the look on my face where she backpedaled and said, oh, my favorite person is my, my son. And my I'm like, uh, I, 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 I have never been so... Um, Dumbfounded I, in my life. I, I, I mean, I would treat her. I would treat her with respect and treat her with kindness, and I would never go near her. I would never date her. I would never sleep with her. I don't. I mean, I cannot tell you strongly enough. I don't think. You know how John Waters used to say, "If you go home with someone and, and they, they don't have, have no any books, books don't mm-hmm. fuck them." Mm-hmm. If they say their two favorite people in the world are Vladimir Putin and Donald Trump, don't fuck them, sir. But what if she has books? Uh, well, what, what books would she have? Ayn Rand? Come Eric on. Trump's books. Mein Kampf? Yeah. <laughs> oh, do you have a Don copy Jr.'s of... Don Jr.'s book. Do you have, you have Lara Trump's Tom Petty cover album, too? <laughs> Are you joking, Matt? I mean, is this really serious? Do you really like her, huh? Yeah. You really like her? Oh, yeah. I so are you going to see her again? Her, but... Okay. Oh, yeah. Well, hey, I, you know what? I, I, you know, I, so as, as, a, as a bleep, as a white, pasty, white, middle-aged, 
Caucasian man and a, a bleeding heart liberal, I think I can fix her. Can you her? Oh yeah. No, no. How many? How many ladies have I told your love can't change that man? What if Jesus was also thrown in there? Would that help out? What do you mean? Like, as also one of the favorite people. It is not possible to love Jesus and Donald Trump. <laughs> Unless you, oh, if okay, you've never read either of their books, it is possible. If you've read their books, they, they don't mix. No, they don't. No, they don't. Yeah. And they're, yeah. If, if you want to be entertained, go ahead. Yeah, maybe yeah, it's yeah. worth dating this woman because, like, I will say, what, yeah, after I left Mormonism, I, I dated all kinds of crazy people for my own entertainment and you know it was fun but yeah that's I, as far as I went Matt I don't know if you heard but in Slovenia they have these uh, mail order brides I don't know if you're interested <laughs> mm-hmm. what is the attraction for you Matt um she's just um oh god okay she's good um, in bed what's this is Dr. <laughs> no oh no no <laughs> alright here we go this is go the ahead. first one I've ever dated that hasn't fallen into bed with me after date number two so Okay. Wow. So she's a Christian. I don't. I, <laughs> wow, now. you got game like she's, that, Matt? Ladies are putting out? Good for you, man. Well, Russian, I don't know she's what. Russian, she's Russian Orthodox, so. Ooh. Oh. oh. There it is. Oh. Matt, you're going to be poisoned. Yeah. So that's don't why drink anything around I, her. <laughs> I get why she's really hot. I get why she's really interesting. I get why you should run away. Yeah. You should bury yourself <laughs> in a lead box until she's this blows fundy, over. She's a man. That's what it is. Yeah. That's what yeah. it is. Yeah. I'm sorry. I. I you know, oh, no worries. You know what? It, this is fun, guys. Really. Let us know how it goes, sir. Please keep us in, keep us informed yeah, and let us know. know. I, again, I have serious serious XM to listen to the uh, John Stevenson show. Well, um, listen, I I, I teach a whole series on hate fucking, and and even this scares me. So just just you know, right? I don't. I just don't think I could do it. But let us know how it goes for you. Please. And, okay. and then find out which religion you want the children to persecute. Okay, let us know. 866-997-4748 is our number. John Stewart is coming back to The Daily Show one night a week, but he's mm-hmm. going to be producing the other four nights of the week. And um, Matt, you were talking about this. He hasn't really been shy about saying he did not have a good experience with Apple. For yeah. his show. No, he uh, he he didn't. He, he left over creative differences. He canceled the show and said they he didn't like them telling him what to do and what to say. What to say. And, you know, and and I, I it was a fair point. You know, he he wanted to say some very obvious truths about how China was you know is an authoritarian country that abuses its citizens and you know you know my hats off to him for quitting that, but. You know, and, and I and I do feel like that. Why would he, Apple have a problem with that? He, <laughs> he tweeted on his iPhone. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Those their whole company get... is dependent on China. That's, that's it, right? Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Including half their customers, not just the manufacturer. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, but I will say, you know, it, the Daily Show definitely people over there they don't know what to do with the program anymore, and, and a lot of it is mm-hmm. simply that it got surpassed. Like it created the format. And then you know, at, the format outgrew the show itself. I think um, I think I think the pandemic really slowed down the momentum that Trevor Noah had built up over there, and I think that they just haven't found um, a host with the point of view to rebrand it. So they've just kept it being you know the substitute teacher show. I also think I like <laughs> Trevor Noah, but I th- I thought he was a little too whimsical to lead us through Trump. Like I f- I felt like at yeah. the end the, in the like his last year or two John Stewart was a little too angry and it was like tipping over for where it was like a little less funny, a little more angry where Trevor always felt like a little silly to me and I think maybe because he's 
he wasn't born yeah. in the United States. There wasn't he shouldn't be here. Yeah. Um, I'm <laughs> <laughs> because he wasn't born here, I don't know if he has the same passion. Well, it's passion more of an entertainment. Like change yeah. It. yeah, it's like um, fun for him to watch, and for the rest of us, we're like. This is horrifying. Fuck. No, yeah. we're living in this shit. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, oh, you're saying that he uh, didn't have so much a skin in the game. Exactly. But That's, you know what? Yeah. I, 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 I don't hear people saying that about John Oliver with his accent. He does seem, though, he seems to be genuinely upset about 100%. things. No, I see. 100%. He seems so there's more passion. 100%. Well, yeah, yeah. And, and it's Trevor's also more the, cool and, and, and playful like, about it. Trevor's and, a little yeah, removed yeah. when he does it. Well, totally. He's removed. Yeah, and yeah. it's also that The Daily Show, at least when the, the branding that Jon Stewart created for it, it was that he was sort of the representative of the American looking at all this shit and being like, this is fucked up. Yeah, right. Like, right. And and that's so so he had more of a connection. And, and also, and may just I just say that Trevor it. Noah, as a South African who lived through an apartheid, has nothing to say about what's happening in Gaza. Fascinating, isn't it? Nothing to say. Mm-hmm. Zero zilch nada. It's like, dude, you lived through a fucking apartheid. Like, yeah. what are you talking about? You yeah. have nothing to mm-hmm. say. And I think I I think to me, like, I love Trevor. I think his stand-up's great. I did not think he was a good host at all. I just didn't necessarily care for it. And I think it's because of that kind of point Who of view. Who would you like to see host it? Huh? Mm-hmm. Who would you like to see host it? I mean, I, I'm glad that John's back. Okay. I think John's oh, back. But besides, besides... Roy Wood Jr. I think they should have given it to Roy. Roy Wood Jr. He's was the amazing. the funniest person I think in the fucking been, country. I would, have given it, I, I would have given it to Roy or I would have given it to Lewis. I know Lewis is older, but oh, I would have yeah. given it to Lewis in a second because it would have been Lewis a rebranding. Black? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Lewis Black's yeah. wonderful, too. Yeah. He's, oh, one, he's great. Who was the other guy who uh, uh, who was the correspondent? The uh, the black gentleman with the glasses, bald head, a little older, probably in his 50s. I'm sorry. Oh, Larry Wilmore? Larry Wilmore. They gave him his own show already. Yeah, but yeah. he's wonderful. And he also yeah. went right wing as well, actually. Larry <gasps> Wilmore went right wing? He kind of did, yeah. Really? What? Yeah, <sighs> yeah. He was like a weirdly libertarian or something. God, let me Larry get that Larry Wilmore, rich, the nightly show? <laughs> the yeah. blackish Larry yeah, Wilmore went yeah. libertarian? Uh, for a li- I don't know where, where he if he ended up that way, but yeah. Like like, like one night, he, he someone spiked his drink and he was libertarian for a night? I, or I, or uh, he yeah. woke up the next day and said, what the fuck was that? Or he was... No, He's doing he, spots no, at Joe like, Rogan's club. I, <laughs> <laughs> well, see, no, and I only know this because, you know, I used to be on the right wing and, and involved in, you know, what they call comedy in... A bunch of people I knew knew him. Mm, I see. And they were they liked him and he liked them. So uh-huh. Uh-huh. Interesting. Yeah.